Welcome to the Recovery Playbook, brought to you by the Menninger Clinic, a national leader in mental health and addictions treatment. We're your hosts, Dr. Daryl Shorter. And I'm Ryan Leaf. Our goal is to elevate conversation about substance use and addictions for anyone who may be impacted, including family members. Our episodes will share real issues and the latest treatments and matters of interest to the recovery community. What's today's playbook topic, Ryan? All right, uh, enabling in our families. Um, one of the biggest things when I work with families or in mine in particular even, um, is the enabling factor of it. When you have a child or someone in your family who's an addict, I I don't think the families fully understand how sick they get Mm -hmm. as well. And so they don't understand what they're doing. And when I talk to them, their biggest fear is, well, if we cut them off, we may never see them again. Right. They'll leave the house. Next time we hear about them, it'll be from, you know, the police or the coroner or something like that. So they believe the best thing they can do is at least they're under our own roof. And I, I, I simply tell them in those moments, I say, you may not realize this, but you are, you are so slowly killing them yourself. And uh, I've, had, I've had a couple of situations with families. They've come home, you know, it was like 18 months later from when we had our conversation, but they found him. Um, you know, no longer with us in his bedroom. When you don't see any reason why not to continue doing what you've been doing because you get clothed, fed, uh, you know, parented Mm -hmm. with no consequence to what you're doing, that is about as enabling as you can get. And for my situation, my mom and dad were, uh, you know, were big enablers. My brother, my baby brother, was the first in my family to go, I can't be in your life anymore until you get this figured out. And he was gone. And this was a kid that looks just like me, tall like me, played quarterback like me. Was he, You know, I was his hero. Mm-hmm. And he was able to do that. And I think that uh, uh, that showed my parents something because after my initial arrest, I bonded out. And though more than anything, my mom probably would want me under their roof to know I was safe. They knew the best place for me was back in that jail. So they asked me to go turn myself back in. And it was probably the hardest thing that they'd ever done, you know, to say, go back to jail. Yeah. But that was the first step in their healing. And then when I went away to treatment afterwards, they came and were a part of the family weekends. And they, they did the work too because... When you go do the work in a facility like the Menninger Clinic and you get out 30, 60, 90 days later, mm-hmm. if your environment hasn't changed, your muscle memory right. and triggers bring you right back That's to where right. you were. And so, uh, you know, shout out to the families out there that participate because um, this is a family disease. Yeah, for sure. So when, when I think about families, I, I get couple different scenarios. I get family members that are contacting me because their loved one is still in active addiction and they are desperate to get their family member into treatment of some kind. And oftentimes I have to tell those folks, well, you know, there are interventions that you might be able to, to try to do on behalf of, uh, there are interventions that you might try to have performed uh, on your loved one. Uh, 
but I you know, never recommend that you do that on your own. Of course, you should do that with a, a professional who specializes in that type of work. Uh, interventions, of course, are somewhat controversial within the field about whether or not they are actually effective or if they uh, result in people feeling a greater sense of guilt or shame. And you're asking people to do something that they're just not able to do, which is in some cases separating. Uh, but intervention, obviously, one of the things that's out there is a potential. I was intervened with um, by the sheriff's department, so that was that that worked. Yeah, that worked. that's a that's a very different kind of intervention. <laughs> yeah, it, an effective uh, one. There were many nights where I asked for help, and mm. I get my higher power just said, I'm "Send the sheriff's department yeah, to help you." That, and that's what it what it came to. You. It is. And you know what? I don't recommend it, but it worked. And. The other thing that I often recommend, this is with somebody who's still active in active addiction and family approaches. There are, there's a lot of family therapy that can take place that doesn't even necessarily need to involve the person who's actively engaged yes. in substance use. And so I also recommend to the family, get your own help. And that, and maybe your loved one gets, goes to a treatment facility. Maybe they don't. But you are already doing the work and the process of healing yourself as a family member and as a family. And it teaches, it ultimately teaches people how to interact with their loved one in a way that does not continue the enabling. This was, this was something that was really effective. And I think it's a big reason why my wife understands me so well. She started going to Al-Anon. Mm. And, uh, and it allowed her to just have a better understanding and a better relationship with me. I... I love my father. He's my hero. But he always asked me the question, why, why can't you just stop? And, uh, you know, I've tried to educate and I've asked him to go to Al-Anon. I said, do you want to have a, a closer relationship with your son? I understand him a little bit more. And I think, I think the stigma that has existed for so long, he was born in the 40s, around... The reason he would be going to this is because something's wrong with him. Mm. And you're more fearful of getting the help that you may need than somebody else knowing yeah. about it. And, uh, and that's always problematic for the family because they're like, oh, it's, he's the problem. Right. Go fix it. And then we'll, we'll have our life back together again. So that's, uh, there's, those, those are two very drastic yeah. differences within my family. Uh, that is that has has shown a you know a progression and a perspective that that they may want to hear. And what's what's interesting is that like the the person that is often being contacted, the mental health clinician, the therapist, the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the whomever, we are oftentimes thinking to ourselves, the family needs treatment. <laughs> now we may not always say it. <laughs> we try to gently nudge people there sometimes, but we're always thinking. It's not really just about this person who has a substance use disorder that needs to focus right now. Yeah. The family needs help too. The family needs treatment as well. Well, I think it's an important thing, and it—I call it showing in the mirror. Hmm. Um, the best thing that's ever happened to me is when people who have unconditionally loved me or who want me to to get better, uh, they show me my behavior, hmm. and that's hard to take. You know, when it's really hard to take, it's really hard to take when you're 11 years sober. And you feel like you've addressed a lot of your character defects. You feel like you're doing a lot of things well. And you're an ambassador in recovery for the Menninger Clinic. And you're working alongside uh, 
those of Dr. Shorter in this field and people show you your behavior. <laughs> hey, Ryan, this is old behavior. Yeah. And that's hard. And so when you are a family member of someone who may be in this type of situation, when a physician who's treating your addicted son goes, this is what you look like. I, it's not, I know it's not pretty, it's hard to take, but it's, there's, we have solutions for this. That's right. Uh, how do you address that with the family when you, when you are in that place, when you go, your son's doing the work here, your daughter's doing the work here, um, this is what I'm seeing from my, my professional standpoint. So uh, gently, but firmly at the same time, you know, you have to kind of let people know they're over here doing their work, whatever that looks like. And at the same time that they're doing their work, there is work for you to do as well. And maybe some of that work is around just how you relate to that individual, how you relate to your loved one. Oftentimes there may be another untreated mental health condition that might have gone undiagnosed or unaddressed. A lot of times people come in and they say, well, I know that I have X, but I saw the same behavior in mom or dad or brother or sister. So we know that there are other uh, circumstances in, in the family where that might be present. So you try to try to let people know that the treatment, treatment is also possible for you. It can also help you as well. I also try to, and that's, that's, that's a step you take in terms of reducing stigma again around any sort of, Absolutely. like, I would assume pretty much everybody in this world deals with some sort of mental health crisis. I would say so. And, and for it to have carried this anchor of weakness and less than for so long is, is why we're so stagnant in it right, right now. You look at Simone Biles, her ability at the Olympics where she is the best at what she does. Right. To go through what she went through to be able to confront it, step back from it, not be able to compete in the thing that she's yeah. so good at. And then I do think we've come a long way, but if you go out there and look at the reaction from the public, you see some of the bigger names in the world have a louder voice. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the differential, it's probably 80% negative to 20% positive oh, yeah. in terms of where that stigma is. You know, suck it up, rub some dirt on it. Yeah. You know, the, the toxic masculinity, the cowboy culture, and then for me, being in locker rooms my whole life, I'd never seen another human being actually ask for help. And so if I'd never seen it, how are you supposed to do it? Never. I mean, I'm trying to think of locker rooms, you just, coaches? No, and this was you know, 30 years ago. Uh, I still find it uh, so, so difficult to understand. I just, if you have a chance, um, Watch uh, the untold documentary on Netflix about Johnny Manziel. Literally talking about that this morning with some folks, yeah. Have you watched it? No, it's on my okay. agenda now. So Untold is an incredible brand. They did something with Marty Fish, who was a, a tennis player who dealt with severe depression and uh, a mental health diagnosis and how he fought through it and the solution-based part of it. And unfortunately, and it was my biggest fear in this, is that football as big as it is in this country, consumes everything. And so when he drops the bomb of, I bought a gun, I attempted suicide, and they immediately go on to the next football topic. Or I, he announces that I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm. And at the end of the documentary, he's sitting there with his buddies 
pounding beers. You're like, where's the solution? Yeah. And they don't understand how they may be in the world of entertainment, but they've set the conversation back. And that was stigma. That's what it is. And what you also describe, though, is a different kind of family. It's chosen family, right? Yeah. So in, 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 this, in the uh, example you just used, this was a chosen family uh, that was participating in enabling behavior. Yeah. With this Everybody. Story. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and what was funny about it is that those individuals were on screen talking about it. Like, he was like, he showed up to practice, you know, sm smelling like a brewery. And I told him, you know, you better, you better play the best damn game of your life. Like he went out and did. So I guess you just, just did keep, letting, uh, keep letting it play out. And there's that enabling behavior. Yeah. And you talked about the chosen family, the non-chosen family, all of it. Um, you keep getting sicker unless you address it, and it's not a bad thing. Um, and it's important for you to understand it. The best thing that ever happened to me was when I look in the mirror now, I, I know who I am. Mm. That's humility. I think a lot of people think humility is thinking less of yourself. I think true humility is just understanding and knowing who you are. That's it. And that's hard. That takes a lot of work. A lot of work. I see a therapist once a week still. For, this is what... Eight years, and uh, I will continue to do it. I'm in remission, yeah, of the disease that the scientists know are true. That's right. So, if you want more of that, come back here to the Recovery Playbook. Dr. Shorter and I will be back for some new episodes here soon. Thanks. Thank you.